I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. For most of her life, this woman was a well-liked and respected veterinarian, mother, and member of society. That all changed, however, when she met a new man who would convince her that a sinister act was the solution to all of her problems. This is the Valerie McDaniel story. Hey, Amy. Hello. You're happy today. No, I'm not. You know, oh. It's funny. I'm actually sad. Why? Because you're leaving. Oh, after well, this your episode, your dog's slowly killing me. I know. I know. We just said it on the last. Uh, I think the last time we yeah. were recording. But I really am sad because you've been here for two days, and selfishly, I just have so much fun when you're here. Oh, I have fun too. I'm sorry that I can't breathe though. I know. I'm sorry. I can't either. But yeah, that's okay. I'll miss you when you're gone. Oh, just so I'll you come know. back. I know. I okay. know. And we'll talk ten times a day, so it'll be okay. Yes. Um, before we get to today's episode, Amy, we have some supporters we'd like to thank. So a big thank you to Natalie Newmeyer, Erin from Chicago, which I know is one of your favorite places. And who else do yeah. we have, Amy? We have two Amys. Get out. Yes, we do. We have Amy with an I. And you know, I always wanted to spell my name like that. And then we have Amy from Orlando who listens with her daughter, Kat. Wow, I love the parent. We get a lot of family listening. We're very lucky. Yes. That's very cool. Thank you so much to those who support us. We can't tell you how grateful we are and how much it helps us keep bringing you great content on the show. And if you're interested in ad-free episodes, an extra episode a month, book clubs, classes, happy hours, and more, visit us at patreon.com slash women in crime. 
Uh, Amy, do you know the story that I'm bringing you today? Have you heard of Valerie McDaniel? Never have, no. I knew you wouldn't. Why don't I introduce you to Valerie? Valerie Busick McDaniel was born on January 12th, 1969, and she was raised in a well-off and respected family in Houston, Texas. Valerie was highly intelligent, well-liked. Um, she was described as effervescent and also had a very strong work ethic. In school, her nickname was Angel Student. I mean, I think that says it all. Mm -hmm. In 1987, Valerie graduated as valedictorian from Episcopal High School after she attended University of St. Thomas in Houston for her undergraduate degree. Then in 1997, Valerie received her doctorate in veterinary medicine from Texas A&M University. At that same university, she met Marion, um, often referred to as Mac, just so you know, going forward, McDaniel III, who she would later marry on August 16, 1997. In 2000, just a few years later, Valerie fulfilled what you might say is her occupational dream by establishing her own successful practice known as the Montrose Veterinary Clinic. And that was in her hometown. And her husband, Mac, was working as the office manager. So, you know, she met Mac, they got married, she opens her own practice. By all accounts, things are looking good. People described Valerie as remarkably intelligent, reliable, caring, an outstanding veterinarian. You know, from the peers of, you know, her to, you know, the graduating high school class, you know, people 35 years before, everybody said nice things about Valerie. Nobody had a negative thing to say throughout the entire course of her life. Aside from one friend who expressed that Valerie's one downfall was bad taste in men. From the outside, it appeared that Valerie and Mac were living a great lifestyle, an enviable one, right? They lived in this high-rise condominium in River Oaks, or that was kind of referred to as the Beverly Hills of Houston. The couple owned several luxury vehicles. They had a beach house on Tiki Island where Valerie would entertain her friends on the weekends, usually without Mac. Unable to conceive children biologically, in 2008, the couple adopted a two-day-year-old daughter and brought her home. Throughout the course of their marriage, Valerie's friends and others described her being very upset, though, often due to Mac's abrasive language, cheating on her, and his frequent absences. So remember I said, like, she entertained a lot? Mm -hmm. Mac was almost never there. It didn't seem that he was interested in participating. Although those close to Valerie never described her marriage to Mac as being good. It took Valerie a long time to really learn the extent of Mac's duplicitous behavior. What happened was one day, uh, someone Mac had had an affair with, who was a complete stranger to Valerie, contacted Valerie directly, called her to reveal the affair. And the woman also provided an entire list of women Mac had slept with over the years, including, very devastatingly, one of Valerie's closest friends. Valerie, however, did not leave Mac. She was loyal and she forgave her husband, even insisting that her friends, you know, not speak badly about Mac. After 17 years of marriage, though, Valerie had had enough. She discovered that Mac engaged in intimate activity with another woman inside the house while she was there. Mm. Essentially, she heard them, Amy. Oh. I don't know who the person was. I don't know if it was, you know, a friend of a friend. I don't know who would do this kind of thing in someone's house with the person there. But Valerie described feeling pure rage, and she said that was the first time she said the word divorce out loud, and, and she knew that she was going to have to divorce Mac. And in February 2015, she filed a divorce petition and requested full custody of their eight-year-old daughter. 
So if you look at the divorce petition, Valerie outlines, you know, a series of infidelities as well as uh, fiscally irresponsible and criminal behavior allegedly perpetrated by Mac, including uh, what she said was committing fraud on the estate. I looked at the petition and I didn't see the specifics of the fraud per se, but I did see like infidelities and and other, you know, kind of a litany of complaints. Mm. I think another indicator regarding the dynamic of their relationship at this point in her petition It went on to formally request that Mac be, quote, restrained from threatening or communicating with her in a vulgar, profane, obscene or indecent language or in a coarse or offensive manner. Very specific. So apparently, as I had said earlier, this was a problem. Valerie had said that he was very abrasive and, you know, he kind of scared her, I think, the way he spoke to her. Unsurprisingly, Mac and Valerie's divorce was neither simple nor amicable. The bitterly disputed divorce was not finalized until August 2016, with Valerie essentially retaining the primary Houston property and the veterinary, the veterinary clinic, mm-hmm. while Mac was awarded the beach house and $1.2 million in compensation. Uh, to compensate him, too, Valerie had to take out a very sizable loan, which was you know upsetting to her. Golda Jacob, Valerie's next-door neighbor, was the attorney who assisted her with you know this challenging divorce. And Mrs. Jacob's 39-year-old failed surgeon's son, Leon Jacob, was also living with her at the time. And he basically wasted no time working himself into Valerie's life after meeting her, despite the fact that Valerie reported initial distaste for him. She did not like that. She found him very offensive at first. But that changed quickly. And she and Leon began a whirlwind romance. And according to all who knew Valerie, Leon became a very powerful influence over her turning this, you know, one-time respected woman into a criminal in just a few months' time. But who was Leon Jacob? He was born in Texas into a wealthy family with his father employed as a surgeon and his mother as an attorney, as I just told you. He was the eldest of two sons and attended highly prestigious boarding schools, um, receiving an excellent education as a child. However, tragedy struck at the age of 13 when his father passed away. But Leon pushed forward, eventually going into medicine, following in his father's footsteps. In 2001, Leon married Annie Morrison, an attorney for a pharmaceutical business and eventually the mother of his two sons. In March 2021, a few months after the couple discovered that they were expecting a second child, Leon was terminated from his residency. And Annie further discovered that Leon was having an extramarital relationship with a mutual friend. Isn't this like surprising yeah, in this story that people's friends? Yes. You know, it's it's always like sad when, you know, uh, when you learn about, you know, an affair. But to find out that it's like a friend, the betrayal there is just, yeah. you know, it's a double betrayal, mm-hmm. I guess. Meanwhile, with Leon's most recent termination, Annie was the sole employed spouse in their relationship for nearly the entirety of her second pregnancy. And she was commuting 90 minutes a day, working full time. And Leon reportedly did not work at this time. And he took care of their first child, but not really. She still had a higher daycare. She didn't trust him. Mm. So, you know, they were basically both the children were in daycare most of the time. And Annie reported that Leon refused to do anything. Like he wasn't helping with housework. He wasn't really helping with child rearing. And other people or other partners that Leon had would attest to similar behavior. Furthermore, Leon physically assaulted his wife throughout their marriage and her second pregnancy, even attempting to attack her abdomen during her third trimester as she like attempted to protect her heavily pregnant belly at the time. Specifically, on December 6, 2012, the police department was dispatched to Leon's home after he stole he stole Annie's keys, 
refused to return them and held a razor to her throat, threatening to kill her. I mean, this is, you know, very violent. According to the police reports, Leon committed the offense of kidnapping by barricading Annie and their minor child in a bedroom and informing Annie that the only way that she would leave the room was in a body bag. And that's verbatim on that one. Oh, wow. I mean, this is terrifying. In 2013, Annie divorced Leon after 12 years of marriage, citing extreme mental cruelty. It's interesting because, yes, I didn't see further, but I would think extreme physical abuse yeah. would have been also that. In Pennsylvania, on it was about August 2013, Leon was served with a protection order concerning his harassment of Annie. He first violated it in September 2013. He would go on to commit various acts of harassment, trespass. He violated the, the protection order several times. He made terroristic threats against both Annie and her mother. Mm. What I read was that there was a minimum of 10 times between September and April at which the state of Illinois had to intervene. But nothing was really done. He wasn't really punished. Mm. So we're seeing, you know, yep. I think you can see what's happening here. Then in 2014, Leon met 33-year-old Megan Vericus while she was working in a hotel in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The two quickly began dating and she moved with him to his hometown of Houston. Much like Annie, Megan was the only employed partner. And one day in January 2017, after a full workday, she came home and found out that the dog that she and Leon shared had basically not been attended to, like hadn't been walked. You know, maybe there was an accident. And she said that like she was feeling like the weight of being the sole breadwinner and the homemaker mm -hmm. and doing everything. And when she told Leon how she felt, he exploded in a fit of rage and physically attacked her. Overall, their relationship had lasted about three years until this assault, at which point she ended the relationship, filed assault charges, and obtained a protective order against Leon for stalking. And right after their relationship ended, Leon began a new one with Valerie McDaniel, mm -hmm. uh, who likely did not know the full extent of Leon's personal history and his career and legal problems. I had to tell you, this is a lot of information about him, but it's totally relevant and, and really super interesting. I could not believe the extent of what was going on with this person. See, Leon didn't have the grades to be accepted into medical programs within the continental United States. And instead, he enrolled in an offshore medical school in the Caribbean island of Granada. Although he managed to graduate in 2005, his performance as a student was so poor <laughs> that he was thrown out of two training programs during medical school. And I got to tell you, his attempted medical career, and I really mean attempted, would result in an even greater string of failures, with him being terminated from seven surgical residencies nationwide, and he failed to obtain his medical license. Can you imagine getting surgery from a doctor like that eventually? No. As a matter of fact, when I was talking about it with James, he said, who does it remind you of? Uh, Dr. Death. Yeah, Christopher yeah. Dunch. Uh -huh. And you're going to see how so, too. In July 2005, Leon was not offered a second residency year at St. Vincent's due to being, quote, functionally unreliable and, quote, having an inability to focus and distracting behavior. That same day, he scored the 21st percentile on AppSight score. Have you ever heard of that? Nope. It's an assessment which measures residents' progress in applied science and the treatment of clinical complications following surgical procedures. So it's very specific, but he did not do well. In the following year, he received a performance review um, from uh, another doctor, which included him also being frequently inappropriate with patients and family members. Mm. Now, this guy is not amassing a good record. His behavior was noted as bizarre, alarming, 
A number of his fellow residents in these programs at various times reported Leon as posing a definite threat, a potential threat to patients. And so the hospital just declined to extend his contract. And on January 23rd, 2009, Leon was notified by the University of Texas Health Science Center that his residency would not be renewed. But get this, they said there's a lot of information. They basically said that he had a false sense of grandiosity that jeopardized his decision making, lack of insight, lack of professionalism, a history of lying. Is this a sociopath? I mean, that's what I'm saying. So I said there's a lot of information, but it's all really relevant to like establishing him. I mean, it goes on and on to say he lied about morning rounds. He was tardy, argumentative, confrontational. He propositioned the chief resident to make out in a hall. (laughs) I'm not even kidding you. Oh, oh, and another thing, because he helped uh, with, you know, students as well. Apparently, reportedly, he discussed the size of his penis with his students. So, I mean, these behaviors are bizarre, alarming, threatening, criminal. So on the same day he was terminated from that position, he harassed a female physician at the institution by calling her repeatedly Mm. and demanding that she retract a statement that she had issued against him. The harassment escalated to such a level that the physician was forced to like disclose it to her superior. And on February 25th, 2011, Leon was forcibly escorted from the grounds of Northside Medical Center in Ohio and warned not to return for three days due to anger management issues and threats made against supervisors. This is shocking, right? Yeah. I mean, I found it shocking. I'm seeing like yeah. such an escalation too, but I'm like, he's dismissed, but it's like he goes, he keeps finding other places. Yeah. However, this hospital, which was another hospital, because we know he was terminated. This is Northside. He was dismissed from this residency as well. Remember, this is one of, I think I told you, seven residencies. Mm-hmm. Why this, would he be allowed to at some point? Aren't you just like... I do, well, so I don't know enough about this field. I'm sure we'll get people to write in, but I don't think so. I think you can keep going. But I, I'm surprised that when they would look at the list, it's kind of like being terminated from teaching positions. Yeah. Like if you're terminated from so many. He was terminated from this position for several reasons. One of them was arguing with trauma surgeons in the operating room, showing disrespect to peers, openly using profanities. They said that he his basic science background was poor. He did even worse on that um, test. Remember that earlier yeah. test where he scored in the 21st percentile? On this one, he scored in the 7th percentile. And then on April 1st, 2011, Leon again trespassed against Northside Medical Hospital and threatened another doctor. The list just keeps going on and on. In 2012, while failing another residency in Ohio, he was charged with burglarizing the home of the head of the residency program from which he was dismissed. So we're spending a lot of time on him. I'm assuming that his behavior somehow influence. Yeah. And I know, I know, like I said, this is a lot about him, but I think that it's very clear and I'm almost at the end of, uh, you know, his behavior, but okay. And we're almost at the end, but a few more things. In 2014, Leon was convicted of driving under the influence. In September, 2014, he was charged with cyber stalking and harassing his ex-wife, Annie. He was sentenced to 11 month jail sentence, but ultimately he just wound up serving a term of probation for this. Mm. This is really the first time he's been punished, punished, by the way. And that's barely a punishment compared to what it should be. Exactly. He didn't, by the way, that burglary that he committed, um, it was downgraded to trespassing for which he received a slap on the wrist. Mm. He was fired again in August, 2015 from his position at Methodist Hospital in Harris County, Texas for 
let's say, false claims, lying. He mislabeled a donor organ and had anger management problems. I mean, the list goes on. In 2016, he filed for bankruptcy. Overall, between 2009 and 2017, Leon's criminality, let's say, went over four states um, with a minimum of eight counts of assault on family member, 13 counts of harassment, four counts of terroristic threats, burglary, kidnapping, aggravated assault, violation of protection orders, theft, driving under the influence. And what year did he start dating Valerie? It's like right in the middle of all that or 2016. Okay, so that was after all this. So he quieted down for a little before he met her? No, he didn't. He never quieted down. No. There was a consistent all the way up to the Did she know about this? So that's why I said before that Valerie likely didn't know the extent. She did know about some of it. Okay. And while she did know about it also, you have to understand that he was also a skilled manipulator who, you know, basically engaged Valerie in this whirlwind romance. He was younger. He, you know, uh, reportedly adored her. I think she felt really good um, for the attention. And I think that Leon was probably able to keep himself in check for a short yeah. period of time because like his previous girlfriend, Megan, had reported, you know, it wasn't right away that this yeah. happened. It never is. No, that's very true. But that short of short period of time for Valerie and Leon would be two months. So Leon, who Mac knew, so Valerie's ex-husband, had, you know, apparently done a little bit of homework and found out about Leon's lengthy history. He's a career criminal, yeah. wouldn't you say, Amy? We can talk about this oh, at the end. Sure. But yeah, you know, basically kind of moved in with Valerie um, and Mac had found out and he... And who know, has the child? Valerie has the child? They have shared custody okay. of the child. And Mac was not happy about it. He uh, knew about the countless charges. He did not want Valerie to be dating her, but he certainly didn't want Leon to be living around yeah. his daughter half uh -huh. the time. And, you know, Valerie's friends had minimal insight into her mindset as well during this short time period because Leon kind of isolated Valerie socially um, while taking control over her life, which mm -hmm. it seemed he was very domineering and controlling. So apparently he would answer her phone calls, which is, you know, yeah. obviously very, I would say, controlling and abusive behavior. Her journal entries, which we will get to and which we got later on, reflect basically, as I said before, a woman infatuated with her new younger boyfriend. And, you know, basically she was reveling in the attention that she felt like she didn't get from her husband for so many years. Meanwhile, as Leon's most recent charges related to the stalking of his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend, Megan, he became he became convinced that it was this felony stalking charge that was preventing him from achieving his um, goal of becoming a distinguished surgeon. Mm -hmm. um, and if he believed that these charges were dropped, that would clear the path. And that was the real problem. It wasn't that, you know. He was uh, acknowledging all his terrible decisions or that he <laughs> failed all these scores. He just believed he became hyper focused on this idea that it was the charges brought by Megan. And Valerie was also, you know, basically stressed out because Mac, you know, was objecting to Valerie having Leon around and she wasn't sure if Mac was going to take action about it. At some point, the two became convinced that they had to. Well, I would say Leon first became convinced that he had to deal with this problem of Megan. And I think that Leon started to convince Valerie that she also had to get rid of Mac because he was the problem and he was going to destroy their family. So Megan was going to destroy his career and Mac was going to destroy his family. Logically, what would Leon do? Well, he asked a recent cellmate of his, Motaz Zach Azay, a.k.a. Taz. So we'll refer to him as Taz. If he would kidnap his ex-girlfriend, Megan, and convince her not to testify against him. Not kill her, but kidnap yeah. her and somehow pressure her. Taz took $10,000 that Leon gave him, but he didn't kidnap or harm Megan. And then angered because Taz was avoiding him, Leon went furiously into the bail bond office where he and Taz had both received their bond 
and asked, like demanded from someone, he didn't know, uh, a worker there, where he could find Taz. And he told this stranger, Felix, that basically about the plan that he had to have Taz kidnap his girlfriend. He tells a complete stranger this. Felix, in turn, turns around and contacts law enforcement. And basically, the ruse begins to capture Leon and see what's going on here. They got Taz to cooperate and then enter Javier Doran. He's an undercover officer who is introduced to Valerie and Leon as a hitman by Taz. Oh, So this okay. is how they got Taz. And like Taz is like, I can't do it, but I have a hitman here. Yeah. They're all cooperating. And this undercover officer began recording conversations of Valerie and Leon soliciting the kidnapping of Megan and a hit on Mac. Oh, boy. They were soliciting someone to kill Mac. And the how, father of her child. Yeah. And how did they arrange these, you know, the hit on their ex-spouses and the kidnapping? Well, that was arranged over a meal at the Olive Garden. Oh, endless bread baskets. Yes, Perfect. exactly. It's actually on, on the quotes here I have when you hear your family, yeah. you know. Okay, so they have this meeting with Valerie, Leon, Taz, and the undercover officer. You never know what people at the next table are talking about, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, when you're thinking that, right. Like, they believe the undercover officer was a hitman. And... Leon discussed methods of homicide, but essentially he wanted Megan kidnapped, but said, like, if she doesn't cooperate, then you can kill her. For Leon, you know, uh, this was seemingly logical. And at some point, the detective began pressing Valerie about Mac because Leon had discussed the possibility of also taking out Mac, but he had not discussed this with Valerie directly. So, you know, he wasn't sure if Valerie was serious about this. But over the course of this two hour lunch, it came out that Valerie did, in fact, agree or became more comfortable discussing Mac's elimination. This is what she said. Let's say if something were to happen, what would it be? Would it be like a car wreck or to which the detective responded? It could be a car wreck. It could be a robbery gone wrong. So the detective later said and it became clear that Valerie was she agreed to have mm-hmm. Mac killed and was under the belief that he would be carjacked and, and a bullet would be put in his head. And by the end of lunch, she agreed to this, seeming like it. Well, she went in seeming a little hesitant, yeah. but by the end, you know, she basically gave him a green light. And and this is exa- exactly what she said. He said point blank to her, "You need to give me the go ahead. Do you want to do that?" And she said, "What other option do I have? He's going to take my daughter." <laughs> so okay. After that meal, the plan was set in motion, and to support the ruse, the police took realistic photographs of both Mac and Megan. They got, so they went to Mac, they went to Megan. And told them what was going on. Told them about the plot. They wanted to make sure they're safe. And I mean, they were shocked, but they asked them to cooperate. They said, we want to, you know, make it look like a fake kidnapping and a fake death. Oh, did they like actually stage? Yes. That's crazy. I've heard that before. Yes. So they took a picture of Mac. He slumped over his car. There's, you could see blood everywhere. Um, You know, seemingly look like he took a bullet. He looks like he's dead. Wow. And they took a picture of Megan alive, but in like total distress. She's bound and gagged. She's a good actress. I just looked up the pictures. It was very good. Yes. But um, you know what was sad for her? Um, They said that during the time when she was doing that, she totally broke down and started crying. How could you not? I mean, that's so scary. I don't know how that would happen. uh, Honestly. These pictures are insane. Yeah, no, they are. They definitely are insane. But okay, so they take the pictures. The hitman calls Valerie Mac to let him know that it's done. And do they want to see pictures? They did not want to see the pictures, just so you know. Who didn't? Neither of them wanted to see the pictures. So they kind of staged the pictures for nothing in the end. But I mean, it was was supposed to be proof. Yeah. But so what followed after that was a police notification. So they wanted to see what would happen. 
They went to Valerie's house. They told her about Mac and she sat quietly with her head in her hands. This is all on body cam footage, by the way. Everyone could see this. And then Leon came out acting surprised at this news about Mac, but then seemingly attempting to establish an alibi, letting like the police know that they were home all day with Valerie and Mac's daughter, you know, yeah. right away. But Valerie and Leon were in for one big surprise because the police let the two know that they were being arrested for solicitation of murder. And the pair were handcuffed, much to their shock. But the bigger surprise came when police opened the front door and Mac was standing there. Oh, very much alive, waiting to take his daughter home with him. Good. Right. Valerie and Leon, you can see they kissed each other goodbye and the pair were taken away. Following the arrest, Valerie's license, her veterinarian license, was suspended. Mm -hmm. Given her lack of criminal history, though, Valerie was actually allowed to await her court date at home, posting $50,000 bond. She was on house arrest? Yeah, she was on Yeah, she was. Leon was not afforded the same option um, because he obviously had a long... Yeah, the history. Yeah. yeah, so he was held without bail. For the next two weeks before Valerie's court date, she spent time with her best friends and colleagues, but she was also making journals and recordings to her loved ones because on March 27th, 2017, one day prior to her appearance in court, where, where she thought she was definitely going to lose custody of her daughter, by the way, Valerie McDaniel climbed over her balcony and jumped seven stories to her death. Oh boy. I know. She left a very lengthy but cogent suicide note, hours of confessions, you know. Um, she was trying to organize her thoughts and and leave people with, you know, more insight and I think maybe give them some closure. Just so you know of note, she never spoke ill of Leon. She didn't blame him. In fact, she said she still loved him. She said the plan to kill Mac was a gradual and slow process that she never had any sudden realization. The idea was kind of planted and then grew daily. But she didn't mince words because she referred to her ex-husband as a psychopath. You know, she said that he was basically, a, you know, a horrible person and had, you know, done so many things over so many years to her. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, though, a lot of the a majority I looked at of the recordings were uh, unpublished and have never been heard, which made me curious. But ultimately, Valerie McDaniels, it was the culmination. People, the prosecutors believed and others believe it was a culmination of these events, um, you know, financial insecurity, the arrest, loss of her daughter that culminated into her suicide. It was too many of these stressors. So I think maybe you could already think about theories that are going to explain Valerie's behavior. All right, so what happened with Leon? Not surprisingly, Leon opted to go to trial. During the trial, he predictably turned on Valerie. So said, his defense that was that it was all her. She's the mastermind. Of course. That was his easy defense. Easy to do that now. Very easy to do that now. Going against the advice of counsel and testifying on the stand. Oh, boy. Um, the prosecution admitted to having, quote, done backflips at this disastrous development. I mean, I'm not surprised because he's so narcissistic that he probably thought he could do a good job on the stand. He is, but he also didn't have the intellect or the charm of like a Ted Bundy type. So uh -huh. the jury found him largely unlikable, arrogant, combative, lack of remorse. I mean, you know, it was a disaster, basically. He, you know, besmirched Valerie's name, turned himself into a victim. Everything went wrong. Um, and there's also the audio recordings that they had. So. You know, let's put it this way. It took the jury one hour to return with a verdict of guilty on both counts of conspiracy to commit murder. And on March 26, 2018, 40-year-old Leon Jacob was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 30 years. So the possibility at 70 years old. All right. That was uh, a lot of information. Yeah. So let's talk about theory. I want to talk about Valerie and I want to talk about Leon here okay. because he played such a prominent role. 
Thoughts on, on Leon? I see sociopathic tendencies. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's clearly a career criminal, so you could talk about life course theory. Yeah. But well, I think he's a sociopath. Right. So when we talk about life course theory, there's two types of um, offenders. So life course persisters and adolescent limited offenders. Uh -huh. The adolescent limited offenders will commit small acts yeah. um, that they'll basically age out of because they yeah. become old enough and don't need to kind yeah. of commit these you know, defiant acts anymore. Yeah. But then there's a five to 10%, is it five to 10% of people who are, will be life course persisters. And mm -hmm. these are your career criminals. Leon was clearly one of them. And usually that does coincide with people being, you know, extremely antisocial. So he's a career criminal, highly narcissistic. Mm -hmm. I think delusional as well, though. How so? He believed, he falsely came to believe that eliminating Megan would be the the path to his career grandiosity. Oh, yeah. He had this false sense of grandiosity yeah. where he could not see that his own behavior was the problem here. I also think there's clear evidence of low self-control. He could not seem to, you know, control his compulsions. He had a quick temper, need for quick resolution, short-sightedness, right? Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yeah. He, I think he fits the bill perfectly. Okay. So Valerie is a very different story, though, entirely. It's almost tragic. It, it Actually, it is, it is tra tragic, yeah. I think, because she had been so completely likable. And really, no one, everyone described her as a wonderful, compassionate human being. Mm. And just in two months' time, you know, she kind of came under, uh, I would almost say, Leon was almost like a cult leader to her. You know, one of those kind of convincing she was highly stressed, though, and I think it was these stressors along with his influenced influence that caused her to make a very bad decision. Would you say maybe that that would be general strain theory? Yeah, I think there's a lot of indications of general strain theory. Yeah. But as much as we hate to use that one because it's such a catch-all. It's not for her. I no. really feel that she was otherwise, you know, a, a, a healthy person who just faced too many stretch, stressors. She was also clearly a... She was clearly vulnerable and her choice in partners, yeah. you know, she had a history, it sounds like, of choosing partners that were abusive. Yeah, I think so, too. Which is not to say that she's not legally culpable for her actions. No, no, but, of course You know, not. we're just yeah. explaining the behavior. Yeah. So I think that had she not met Leon, she never would have committed a crime in her life. Who knows? Unless she met someone else, it seems like her choice and partner she may have just met somebody else that had other violent tendencies it, i mean it's possible yeah. but i doubt i mean she was a you know a 47 year old woman yeah. who had never committed an act i just yeah. don't think she would have yeah and that is the the tragedy here well, the so tragedy I, is that there's a little girl without a mom right absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. and yeah i agree i think the same thing could be said of valerie's death having you know died by suicide she couldn't healthily cope with these stressors yeah. partially created or you know, by her own actions. So it is a tragedy all around here. Yes. I wonder if she felt guilt or just upset that she got caught. I think she felt both, to yeah. be honest. I think she was fundamentally a decent human being who, you know, made a bad decision. Although, remember, she did say that, you know, Mac was not a good person. Yeah. He, she called him a psychopath. So I don't know if that meant she felt partially justified. I'm I not don't sure. Know. You can't go around killing people you don't like, though. That's absolutely yeah. true. No, you cannot do that. Thank God for, you know, it, like fate intervening and, you know, an undercover officer, because had that not happened, Mac might be dead. Megan would either be kidnapped yeah. and, and tortured or yeah. dead as well. So mm -hmm. fate, you know, there was great fate that stepped in here in yeah. this one. All right. Finally, Amy, at the end of the day, did the criminal justice system get it right? Yes. So Leon is eligible for parole at the age of 70. That's correct. Parole eligible, which parole we eligible. know doesn't mean I'm he'll be granted. Okay. I'm, I'm OK with that. I think um, the system got it right. Yeah, I I do. Certainly a lighter sentence would not have been appropriate. Yeah. 
He does not seem deterrable whatsoever. Mm. Hopefully at 70, he will have aged out of crime. And again, that just means he's eligible. Yeah. I have a strong suspicion that he is not going to be, well, not that he won't be granted, but that he's going to have some behavioral issues. I was going to say, he doesn't strike me as someone who's going to go down the rehabilitative path. Exactly. Um, you know, very tellingly, Leon's younger brother testified prior to sentencing that Leon would probably have difficulty complying with any rules of probation if mm -hmm. such was provided, you know, maintaining employment or anything mm -hmm. like that. This is his own brother yeah. saying he couldn't comply. So, yeah, I think that uh, the sentence is probably appropriate. And again, the tragedy is the the lost lives here and the yep. tragedy for their daughter. Yep. I think I think stories like these are almost a warning tale to people. Right, that it's important to know who you're in a relationship with. It certainly is. And nowadays, with so you know, with social media, with the internet, it's much easier than it used to be. You can find out somebody's background. It sounds like maybe Valerie didn't know the extent to Leon's background, and had she known the extent, maybe she would have walked away from the relationship. Right. So stories like this are almost a cautionary tale. Almost, yeah. I'm not saying I blame her entirely because clearly he had very strong criminal tendencies and he was violent. But you know, I think we need to know who we're in relationships with. I also think the takeaway here is we talk about cases where women are victims or offenders, right? Yeah. In this case, I see Valerie as both. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for following me. I know that was a little bit of a complicated, uh, a long, complicated journey that we took there. Thank you so much for taking this journey with us. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content, such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include an episode of American Justice on A&E TV, an episode of Dateline, court documents from State of Texas v. Leon Jacob and his appeal, the Houston Chronicle, the American Veterinary Medical Association, and Oxygen. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.